to Children's Church, you are welcome to walk them back there and meet the teachers and see the space. Uh, and you can pick them up at the conclusion of the service. We hope you all have a wonderful, a wonderful morning back there. Uh, if you turn to page 8 of your bulletin, you'll find our scripture passage for the morning uh, from Acts chapter 16. Uh, we're continuing our series in Acts this morning. And we said each week that Acts gives us this historic account of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles to gather and grow His church even to the ends of the earth. And we are um, recipients and beneficiaries of this church being grown and expanding to the ends of the earth as we gather here as resurrection on Sunday mornings. And as you're getting situated with the passage, um, I want you to think about this question. And maybe you've thought about this before. Uh, What should ministry look like? What should ministry look like? Here we are, a brand new church, um, and that may be part of the reason why you are here checking out this brand new church, um, because you maybe have a particular vision or idea about how, what ministry should look like, how it should go. And so maybe what we're doing at Resurrection sort of lines up with that, or maybe that you're hoping that it will line up with that at some point uh, as you explore what we're doing. Uh, but what should ministry look like? Um, our passage this morning gives us a snapshot of ministry. Um, it provides an answer to that question. Now, uh, it is a snapshot of ministry, not the snapshot of ministry. So even so far in Acts, if you've been listening or following along, um, we've seen that when the mission of God goes forth, um, when the good news is preached, sometimes it results in things like persecution and massive upheaval. upheaval. Sometimes it results in things like rioting and it really upsets a lot of people. Sometimes there are like big dramatic conversions like we saw uh, with the Apostle Paul, where he's literally physically knocked over and there's flashes of light and there's audible voices speaking. And so uh, there's not um, one way that it will go. Um, but our passage shows us a way that it will go. And I want us to think about in this passage this morning, what, what patterns do we see for ministry? What observations can we make about what's happening? This is Acts 16 Verses 11 through 15. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and, to the, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside, to the gate, uh, went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for this account of Lydia's conversion. Father, as we sit at your feet this morning and as we consider uh, your words to us, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you'd be at work in us and you would give us understanding. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing 
and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So both the way that we watch TV and the TV shows that we watch watch have changed dramatically over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, Think about the evolution of how we experience TV. Um, So used to, it was like only live TV that we could turn on and watch at a particular moment. Whatever the network was showing, we would watch. If we wanted to see a movie, we'd have to go to the movie theater. Or even better, we got to go to Blockbuster. We all remember Blockbuster. Um, And so that was was, uh, TV movie life for a while. And then there was like the red box phase where if you wanted to watch a movie, you'd go by Walgreens. And pay a dollar or five dollars, whatever it is, to, to rent a Redbox DVD out of that little vending machine. Uh, and you go home and watch it in your DVD player. Um, and then somewhere in there was the Laserdisc phase. I don't know if you were part of Laserdisc. People, I never was. I didn't know many people who were. Um, and now we're in the live streaming phase where at home with your TV or computer or iPad or phone, That is like the primary way in which we consume TV and movies. And things have changed dramatically. Um, Do you know the show that people say forever changed how TV shows are made? There's one show in particular that they say changed the game for everyone. It was The Sopranos. The Sopranos. Um, I don't recommend it. Uh, I've only seen bits and pieces. That's a judgment call on your own as to whether you watch something like that or not. But The Sopranos was one of the first shows to introduce what's called long-form storytelling or long-form narrative. Um, Prior to this, a TV show would contain the full narrative arc all within one show. So you could sit down, hop into any season, any year, and sort of get all the components of a particular story in one episode. So that's what was happening with TV. Uh, The Sopranos were the first ones to introduce this long-form narrative that would take course that would that would take place over the course of like whole seasons and multiple seasons over years to get the full story the long term of the narrative there's an article that i read about the sopranos this week it says and while it's been 20 years since the sopranos first premiered to hbo many acknowledge the series as the watershed moment that changed the way stories are told on the small screen it's worth remembering that television was born from radio And that medium focused more on consumerism and quick, short-form stories. For the longest time, the only long-form narrative viewers regularly saw on the small screen was in the soap opera world. When it came to primetime entertainment, audiences regularly turned in to the crime, comedy, monster of the week shows that they could count on. The Sopranos helped wake America up and took us well out of our comfort zones. Suddenly, audiences were treated to a cinematic story on TV that played out in an intricately layered manner each and every week. Everyone was flawed, main characters died, and the production value was above and beyond anything on the lineup of channels at that time. Okay, all that to say this. What did other TV shows start doing after The Sopranos modeled this? They started doing the same thing. And if you trace the history from this, The Sopranos became the perfect model for how to do this long-form narrative, highly cinematic TV. And now all the shows that we love and go on and on about with one another are models of this, are products of this. They saw what The Sopranos did, and they have adopted that model and are doing the same thing. All right, in our passage, this short account of the conversion of Lydia, it gives us a picture 
and a model of what ministry looks like. We actually get it laid out for us right here. We can look at, a, look at this and say, oh, this is, this is an example of how this works. This is the beauty of ministry played out. Now, we don't want to be like overly formulaic uh, about how we think about ministry. Like we said, that, um, that this is the only way. This is a way. But it is just that. It is a way that the scriptures present to us as, in terms of how ministry can go. And as a brand new church, we need models to help us think about this. About how ministry will look uh, for us as a, as a church, as a whole, on a big picture level. For our particular neighborhood groups, as we think about our neighborhoods. For our one-on-one relationships, as we try to be thoughtful about uh, friendships and relationships that we have. So two headings I want to think about this text this morning. The first is reaching out with the good news. And the second is responding to the good news. So first, reaching out with the good news. Secondly, responding to the good news. First, reaching out with the good news. All right, two things that we see about how the apostles reach out with the good news here. It is both intentional and it is flexible. Uh, That is, they have a plan, but they are also responsive and open as to how God might be at work. First, it's intentional. Look at verse 11. There's a lot of geography given here. It says, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and then follow, the following day to Neapolis, uh, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Okay, some very specific geographical markers are given by Luke here. By the way, um, if you are reading through Acts, you can tell that there's a shift Uh, And they start using this first-person plural language here. Um, So Luke, the author, this is pretty interesting, has actually joined Paul and the apostles at this part of the journey. So Luke is saying we because he is like with them in the midst of this. Um, What do we know about these cities that they visited? They left from Troas going to Samothrace. This would have been an island uh, on the direct route in between Troas and Neapolis. It would have served as a port for Philippi. Uh, Neapolis is thought to uh, be modern-day Kavala, I believe is how you say it. It's a seaport city in Greece, still used as an active harbor today. Ultimately, they end up in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, uh, one of four districts uh, in Macedonia. It was considered sort of like the leader of all these districts um, in the area. And there was a very uh, small um, Jewish population in Philippi, so small that there was not a synagogue there. All that to say that this travel was intentional. In fact, this travel took place during what is called Paul's second missionary journey. So the Apostle Paul had three missionary journeys in his ministry. And this takes place on his second missionary journey where he had planned out his travels and where he would go. And as he was uh, thinking about where he would travel and why he would go there and where he was going, he was also writing letters to these churches Much of those letters are now our New Testament scriptures. So on the second missionary journey uh, that's happening right here in Acts 16, Paul actually wrote uh, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, which are letters in the New Testament that we have today. So he's writing on these missionary journeys. But what this shows is that Paul was thinking strategically and intentionally about his surrounding areas. All right, think back to the theme verse of Acts which I've referenced in some form every week and is the memory verse for this series uh, listed with your discussion questions for neighborhood groups. Acts 1.8, Jesus says to his apostles, what does he say to them? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
All right, this theme verse that also serves, we said, as the outline for the whole book of Acts. So all that happens in the book of Acts falls into line with Acts 1.8. And so where are we? Greece would have fallen into this category of the ends of the earth. They're already at the ends of the earth by Acts chapter 16. So this intentional ministry that we see happening in Acts 16 is actually in line with what Jesus said to them back in Acts chapter 1. All right, what about us here this morning? Uh, Resurrection, we as a church are a product of people thinking and acting intentionally in ministry. Um, Our sending church, Downtown Prez, had a mission uh, and a goal and desire to plant churches throughout Greenville, starting closer into the city, working their way outward. And after Grace and Peace was planted in the Poe Mill neighborhood, uh, they started praying and planning and researching and thinking and being intentional about where will the next church plant be. And three things became clear throughout this intentional process. Um, the city was rapidly growing in this part of town where we're gathered now. Um, there, were, there was a group of people living in this part of town generally that were interested in being a part of reaching this area in a particular way with a new church. And then also there was a pastor that lived in this area who was intentional, who, who uh, was thoughtfully engaged, wanted to be a part of a church in this area and would serve as an organizing pastor. Um, we are a product of intentional and strategic planning and ministry. It's not just okay, but it's good to be thoughtful and intentional in ministry. It's good to have a plan. Um, earlier in Acts, Acts chapter 3, Jesus is actually referred to as the author of life. Jesus as the author, the one who writes the story. And every author has a plan for his story. God has a plan. He's an intentional God with a plan for how he will redeem and restore us and how he will make all things new again. God is intentional. The ministry we see modeled in our passage is intentional. But in the midst of that intentionality, we also see the apostles remaining flexible and responsive to how God might be at work. So we see this flexibility here. Look at verse 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were suppo- where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the, uh, to the women who had come together. All right, so again, we're in Philippi here. It's unlikely that there was a synagogue. So they were looking for a place of prayer. Um, this could have been an actual structure or dwelling. It could have just been like a, an outdoor gathering place. It doesn't tell us why they were looking for this place of prayer. Likely they were going to do some kind of worship. We don't know for sure if they were going to just pray and worship themselves, or if they were going and planning to teach. The text doesn't tell us. But when they get to this place of prayer, there's a group of women who has gathered here. And so the apostles strike up this conversation with this group of women. Um, It's in the context of this unplanned conversation with this group of women that Lydia becomes a follower of Jesus, which we'll talk about that. We'll dial in on that in a moment. But what is beautiful in this passage is that we don't really know if this interaction at this place of prayer, if, if they had planned on it or not, or if it just sort of happened, or what the context was in which this conversation began. Um, if you look at the Gospels, Jesus had so many unplanned interactions 
with people. Um, interactions that actually looked like massive disruptions to his schedule. Um, and a lot of times the disciples would actually try to like turn people away from Jesus because they thought that they were um, an interference or interruption to what he was doing. But like Jesus was pretty adamant about actually stopping and spending time with these people. Um, Eugene Peterson, uh, late pastor and author, says this about interactions with people in ministry. He says, I can be a pastor who listens. A lot of people approach me through the week and tell me what's going on in their lives. I want to have the energy and time to really listen to them so that when they're through, they know at least one other person has some inkling of what they're feeling and thinking. And this is a nudge to all of us, not just pastors. And so um, thinking about your own life, even this week, Within the plans and the busyness of your day and your week, um, do you have time to stop and listen uh, to those that you come into contact with? Um, how do you feel internally when an unplanned situation arises with another person, when they come onto your radar and they have maybe a significant need or you know this conversation might take some time? Instead of screening that call with the unknown number, you pick it up and you start talking to them. You realize, oh boy. I just got myself into a longer conversation here. And this is going to require some follow-up. In our passage, um, within the apostles' intentional strategic plan for traveling to these places and doing this intentional ministry, there was attention given to how God was at work. And there was space for them to be responsive and to engage with what God was doing at each place when they arrived. And so for us, what about... If in the back of our minds, throughout our day, we had these two questions sort of like uh, prayerfully rattling around. Um, How is God at work in this person across from me or in this situation? How is God at work in this person right now or in this particular situation? And then secondly, how can I respond to that and participate in what he's doing? So what if that was just sort of prayerfully rattling around in the busyness of our day Where we come across something unexpected, we've already been thinking and praying and meditating on how is God at work in this situation? And how might I engage with that and participate and respond to what God is doing? This might be a helpful grid for us to maintain a sense of openness and flexibility in the midst of our plans. Uh, We spent most Saturdays this fall on the fields of the Kane Halter YMCA uh, playing soccer. Uh, saw some of y'all out there. Maybe um, this is, was part of your experience as well. Um, and one of the things that you see, and um, kids, maybe you experience this as a soccer player yourself, um, but you get to see this happening really in any team sport where a good coach will give kids um, a plan for the game. Well, they will come in and think, okay, like this is what I need to do. This is what I need to execute. This is how I'm going to be thoughtful and intentional in this particular game. Uh, and within that plan is like massive flexibility to do what? To respond to the other team and what they're going to be doing. Because you don't know what the other team is going to do. But you want to be trained in such a way where within your intentional plan for that game, you've got the flexibility and openness to respond and play against uh, whatever the other team is doing. Alright, so as the apostles reach out with the good news in our passage, they are both intentional and they are flexible in how they respond. Alright, so we've seen the snapshot of them reaching out with the good news. Let's look at the response. Let's think about responding to the good news. 
How does Lydia respond? This is just like a, a, a beautiful zoom in of one particular woman and her response to Jesus. Look at verse, starting in verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well. All right, so let's talk first about Lydia's conversion. Then we'll get into her, what else happened. But let's talk about Lydia's conversion. Who was Lydia? Who was this woman? Uh, she was from the city of Thyatira. It was um, as a city known for having these expensive purple dyes. And Lydia was someone who sold either these purple dyes or purple goods, things that had been dyed with purple. Um, and so she was a successful businesswoman. The fact that it's noted in her description. And the text also tells us that she was a worshiper of God. Um, okay, this is similar um, to when we looked at Cornelius. If you listen to last week's sermon. So Lydia, just like Cornelius, was a Gentile. She was not Jewish. But she um, uh, worshipped this God. Lived like a Jew in many ways. Without becoming a full convert. So she wasn't yet an insider. She was still an outsider where she was intrigued, sort of as close as she could get to being an insider, uh, but she was an outsider looking in, intrigued by this God, intrigued by these practices, but wasn't fully there, wasn't uh, fully in. And how does she come to faith? What does the text say happens to Lydia? Second half of 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Just a little clause of a sentence is just loaded Theologically, um, God works in her to bring about this belief. It's the Holy Spirit who works in Lydia and calls her to himself. And this is how you and I are drawn to the Lord also. Um, the theological term for this is called effectual calling. Effectual calling. Listen to a definition of effectual calling. This is loaded. It says effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit. Whereby... Convincing us of our sin and misery. Enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ. And renewing our wills. He persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ. Freely offered to us in the gospel. And this is God's kindness to us. Um, our rebellion against God is so bad, so severe that we couldn't and wouldn't do this on our own. The Spirit has to do this in us. And what does the Spirit do? Helps us to see our sin and how miserable we really are. Have you had that moment where, where sort of the light was turned on and you thought those things that were making you happy were not actually making you happy? They were doing the opposite. Leaving you miserable and empty and needing more. But then when you went to more of that thing, it left you even more miserable and more empty. So the Spirit does that when we are converted to following Jesus. It gives us a felt sense of our sin in our misery. And it says the Spirit helps our minds understand who Jesus is and what He did for us. And maybe you've had that moment where as you see that emptiness of your own sin, you begin to see Jesus in a new way where He is actually beautiful to you. And you're drawn to Him. And you're drawn to what He taught and said and how He lived. And you want your life to look like that. And you're drawn to what He did on your behalf. That His perfect righteousness is accredited to you, is given to you. And your sin is removed from you and given to Him. And so you're drawn into that. And He gives us, the Spirit gives us His heart to respond to that work. 
Just say, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I believe. Um, Even as what is described in our text as a worshiper of God, Lydia, one who was intrigued by the things of God and the Jewish people, she could not have woken herself up to the salvation in Jesus. And you and I cannot wake ourselves up to the salvation that is in Jesus. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us that the Lord might open us up to give us an understanding of who He is and what He's doing. All right, if that's the case, then how do we believe? How can we come to faith in Jesus? Uh, Simply by crying out to Him in repentance of faith. This faith is a gift from, from God. And if you feel that stirring within you, if you feel that longing for the Lord and the emptiness of your sin, guess what? That's a sign that the Spirit's at work in you. That He's stirring within you, drawing you to Himself. So if you're in that position, don't... Um, Get too dialed up over the how of what's happening, but respond and give yourself in faith to Jesus. And what does it mean to convert to following Jesus? What what is happening to Lydia here? Um, Think about it as Jesus becoming the center of your life. That's what's happening for Lydia. Jesus is becoming the most central part of her life. Uh, The most important thing, the guiding thing, the grounding thing, the foundation, the source of all life. I have a pastor friend who talks about this way. Um, He says that we often think about following Jesus um, as like a part, one piece of the pie, right? So we have like career, family, uh, hobbies, friendships, social life, um, kids, whatever it may be. And then like maybe we think, oh, yeah, like I want Jesus to be a part of that. I want him in the mix, like part of all this stuff. That's not actually how scripture talks about it. My friend says that Jesus doesn't want a piece. He wants the whole thing. That Jesus takes over the whole thing. And flavors everything else. For how we think about our careers. How we think about families. How we think about our social life. How we think about friendships. How we think about school. Jesus is at the center of all of those things. And takes over all of those things. We surrender all of that to him. That's what it means to convert to following Jesus, to become a follower of His, to be a Christian, means to have Jesus as the most central part of your life. That's what Lydia does here. And it says that she and her whole household were baptized. Now, it's, it's unknown as to whether she had children or not. It's likely due to her stated success as a businesswoman that she had servants in her household. And due to the nature of this covenant relationship, as Lydia comes to faith and is baptized, those in her care, those in her household are baptized as well. So she's converted. Where does her conversion lead? What is the first fruit that is born out of her new life in Jesus? It's hospitality. Let's look at Lydia's hospitality. Look at the second half of verse 15. She urged us saying, if you... Uh, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Uh, So she essentially tells them, hey, if you see my faith in Jesus as being real, then hey, my home is open. I want you guys to come and stay. And they do. And later in Acts 16, in verse 40, it appears as though Lydia's house becomes somewhat of a hub for ministry for these apostles, where they come and go from her house. Uh, hospitality is a result or fruit of knowing Jesus. Uh, Paul would say it this way in Romans 15, verse 7. 
This is uh, one of the reflection quotes in your bulletin. He says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So he's saying that we have been welcomed by Jesus and Jesus took all the necessary steps. He took he did all the work to welcome us into relationship with himself. And what is the natural overflow of this? That we would welcome one another. And that if, uh, if we follow Jesus and his welcome of us, that means that when we welcome others, we absorb all the necessary costs and sacrifice in order to welcome others. We welcome not just those we love, but those who are different than us. Those from a different background. Those who are difficult for us. Uh, those who are needy. Those who struggle. Those who can't return the favor. That's who we welcome. And Lydia models this beautifully and even insistently that she is hospitable. And this, this hospitality that comes from a place of deep recognition that Jesus has welcomed us to himself. Um, so I'm not really a yard person. Um, if you've ever seen my yard, you would agree with that statement that I'm not a yard person. Uh, but back in the summer, we started doing some work on the grass in the front yard of our house. And so someone has come each month and put something on my grass, some chemical, not sure what they're doing, um, over time, a little bit every month. And then like maybe six weeks ago, they came and they aerated it and they, they put new seed down and gave us this detailed printout of like when to water, when to not water, when to mow, how to mow, all that stuff. So we're following it to a T. And guess what happened? Grass started growing in my front yard. It's amazing. And so Aaron and I have been joking lately like, hey, like maybe we are yard people after all. As we look out at our front yard. Um, but if you think about it, it's actually not that amazing what's happening. Like we literally had a professional come and like help us take care of our yard little by little plant new seed, give us the detailed instructions of how this should go. And so what happens when you plant seed and take care of your grass and there's sun and rain? New grass grows. It's a natural overflow of that whole process. Uh, when Jesus has welcomed us to himself, a natural overflow is that we would welcome others. Hospitality just bubbles up from knowing Jesus. Uh, the welcome of others. It grows out of the welcome we've received in Jesus. Uh, this little passage is a beautiful, somewhat simple snapshot of ministry. The apostles reach out with good news, both with this intentionality, this flexibility. Lydia responds to the good news. She's converted, immediately opens her home and models this hospitality. So I'm going to close with just two invitations for us this morning. The first invitation is an invitation to believe. Um, does Lydia's story resonate with you? Um, has a soul, the Holy Spirit given you a new heart? Or maybe is the Holy Spirit at work doing that in you now? Um, do you hear this invitation to come and become a follower of Jesus for the first time, maybe in a way that you hadn't before? Um, if so, then respond then give your life to Jesus. Give all of yourself to him this morning. Um, and if, that, if you're experiencing that stirring in your heart, know that I would love to talk with you after the service like this morning about what that would look like for you. So there's an invitation in this text to believe and to follow Jesus. There's also an invitation to practice this welcome. Uh, 
There's an invitation to practice this welcome. Um, to get really practical, what if each of us thought about inviting, think about standing at your front door and looking around at all the neighbors around your house or apartment or whatever it is where you live. Think about all the different neighbors and it's just immediate, immediately surrounding you. Um, what if all of us left here and thought over the course of the next you know, six months, we want to try to have each of these people into our home for a meal. We want to welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. Um, that works itself out literally to like hundreds of people and families not connected to our church being thoughtfully and welcomed, thoughtfully loved and welcomed by y'all as you go out from here. And maybe to, to dial in even more, thinking about Romans 15 verse 7, specifically for neighbors and friends and those who don't know the Lord and those maybe who are difficult for you to love. What if Romans 15 verse 7 became a prayer to you? And the prayer is this. Father, I welcome so-and-so as Christ has welcomed me for your glory. Father, I welcome fill in the blank as Christ has welcomed me for your glory. What if this was your prayer for the week? I'm going to pray that for all of us now. Let's pray.